Hello and welcome to the Political Notebook Podcast. I'm Billy Robb. I'm a high school teacher. And I'm Robert Robb, editorial columnist for the Arizona Republic and Billy's dad. We're going to focus on this episode on state issues here in Arizona. Uh, first, whether the legislature should uh, open back up and, and if so, what they should try to accomplish uh, before f- totally finishing the session. And then uh, also what to expect uh, in next year's uh, budget, and then uh, how the politics this might shake out uh, into the upcoming election in 2020. Before we get into that, I just want to touch on just briefly, uh, we're kind of in this, just about the social and cultural elements of this, because we're just uh, starting to enter this weird space in Arizona where things are starting to open back up um, on a limited basis, but maybe uh, more, more broadly uh, after that. But most people are still practicing at least some sort of social distancing measures. So how do you think, just in terms of socially, going to restaurants, hanging out with friends, how are people going to navigate that? Are we just going to start asking, like, hey, what's your social distancing level, like, before you hang out? Or I don't know, what do you think that's going to be like? I think it will be gradual. I think people will be um, reticent to resume the level of interaction and socialization that they uh, were previously engaged in. Uh, I think it will be a process of discovery. Um, The restaurants, for example, will have to figure out what's comfortable in terms of their staff um, and uh, what they need to do in order to cause increasing numbers of people to feel comfortable to come out and dine and different people will feel uh, differently about when they're uh, comfortable doing it. So I think that we really didn't need government to sort of tell us every step that we could take. Uh, I think that the, that, that people making decisions on their own will re-engage very, very gradually and that they will continue to be, a great deal of social distancing um, and a very slow return to uh, person-to-person social interactions. And it's kind of weird too, because it's almost like a, it shows your political ideology almost. Like it seems like people that are more uh, liberal are uh, a lot, being a lot more, you know, cautious and in public about maybe, you know, calling someone out or, or, or being vocal about it. Whereas the more sort of conservative folks are, um, more willing to, you know, to, to break the protocols or even show their, even it's even become kind of a sign of, of politics to be like, Hey, I'm going to go out there and and do something because of whatever. I I think in in terms of whether, um, government should dictate, the pace at which we re-engage or whether individuals should decide that on their own based upon uh, information and guidance um, from public health experts does have an ideological um, coloration uh, to it. I think the, um, gee, I'm going to defy everything and and, uh, openly violate social distancing protocols 
and I'm going to rat on people who do that and demand that they do otherwise, is more of the fringes of the left and the right. And I think um, that um, conservative people uh, politically and liberal people politically will both generally be slow to re-engage and continue to practice social uh, distancing um, for a period of time now, uh, carefully watching, um, particularly in my judgment, hospitalizations and uh, death rates and where the deaths are occurring uh, before deciding to uh, re-engage uh, in more personal activity. So I think there is, in terms of the policy, a sharp liberal conservative split. But I think this, I'm going to defy it, I'm going to rat on the people who are defying it, is more the fringes of both the right yeah. and the left. Yeah. Well, let's let's talk about what it, Arizona legislature is doing or not doing. Uh, they passed a sort of a skeleton budget for next year, um, which uh, brought this session to a halt, but it's still not clear whether they might still return and open back up and, and, and pass something uh, related to, to COVID-19 or, or, or the budget. Uh, I listened in uh, on Tuesday to a air, a webinar, Arizona Capital Times Morning Scoop uh, webinar, and they had uh, a few lawmakers on there that seemed to be concerned that if you did open things back up, um, it'd basically be a free for all, and everyone would try to be getting in there, uh, you know, their their bills, and it would be tough to to open it up in a limited way. Um, to do that seemed to be the the concern. Some people thought they should just end it completely. Other people thought that they should uh, try to try to get something done. So, uh, what do you think? Should should they should they open back up? How uh, how should they go about doing it? And if so, what do you think are the sort of the the most important things that should be done uh, in a you know an opened up session? Uh, the legislative leadership um, wanted to convene the legislature for the purposes of adjourning uh, and then uh, watch what happens to revenue numbers uh, to see whether before the end of the fiscal year, which occurs at the end of June, uh, there needed to be a revision to the skinny budget that uh, had been adopted to ensure that state programs can continue basically at existing function at existing funding levels. Uh, in the event that the legislature couldn't reconvene. I think that was the right approach. Um, there are legislators and lobbyists uh, who didn't like that, and there were enough legislators who didn't like it to derail uh, that plan. They want to go back into session uh, and uh, continue to legislate on uh, whatever can get uh, the votes and to... Um, a lot of them had priorities that got stranded, and 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 they want to have a chance to get those things uh, passed. Um, I think uh, while I support opening up the economy, I think that it's that practicing social distancing is still uh, prudent, uh, and uh, there is nothing so important uh, that remains undone. 
given that the skinny budget has been passed to and to enable state programs to continue uh, past June 30, uh, that it warrants taking uh, whatever whatever health risks might be involved in reconvening. Um, and given the freefall that's occurring in state revenues, uh, there's nothing nearly as important as monitoring that and deciding whether you need to make adjustments to the budget that was passed before the end of the year. So I support the approach that the legislative leadership wanted to take. Um, it may be that just the passage of time uh, causes that um, to be what happens uh, despite the rebellion against that that occurred particularly among Republican legislators. It's a little bit unfortunate that that by preventing the adjournment that the legislative leadership wanted, uh, legislators caused their per diem payments to continue. So that's a little bit shabby. Um, and I think it'd be cleaner just to convene enough people to adjourn and then watch what happens to revenue and decide whether you need to go into a special session to do a budget revision um, before the end of the year, or that could actually occur after the end of June, because you already have a budget in place. You can make revisions to it at any time you decide to do so. So for you, that would be the only, the only thing that, that would require the, the session to open back up is a revenue emergency. Not there's no, there's nothing like very, very important that the legislature could do to to help in other in other ways with uh you know the COVID nineteen fault economic and you know health situation. It, the um both any any funding to uh, take on COVID nineteen uh, or to uh, compensate people for a loss of income for COVID-19 simply exceeds the state's capacity to provide. Uh, there are serious questions as to whether they will be able to, to do, uh, continue with the funding that's already been approved for next year, uh, which uh, may require completely draining uh, the rainy day fund just to support one year of operation. Um, so no, I, I, I think that, um, the only thing that remains for the legislature to do that is critically important and might be worth the health risks involved in reconvening um, would be uh, revisions to the budget. Do you expect there to be a needed revision to the budget? Like what's your, what's your sense on the economics of it here? Uh, <clears throat> if you were a, if you were like, heading up a government agency or a school, would you be expecting there to be cuts or uh, would you be confident that we're going to see the, uh, the status quo? The um, legislative budget staff uh, projected a deep fall off in state revenues in the last quarter of the fiscal year. Um, so I don't think it's likely that the hit will exceed what uh, the legislative budget staff has uh, projected. However, the legislative budget staff did project a relatively quick 
recovery. Uh, and I'm not sure that it, that's going to happen. Um, there is, uh, based upon the legislative budget staff's projections, um, between what the state has already gotten for COVID-19 funding and the uh, rainy day fund, enough to handle and pay for the continuation of state programs that have been uh, previously approved. And it's not just a continuation. There's a pretty healthy increase that has been appropriated for K-12 education. It appears at present that there's enough resources if you're willing to substantially drain the rainy day fund. Um, I don't know that there will need to be a consideration of additional budget cuts between now and the end of June. Uh, if, however, the recovery is slower than the budget staff projected, and you're starting to look at a scenario where even draining the rainy day fund won't cover uh, what's already been approved, uh, then you would need to make a decision as to how you're going to cover that deficit. That could be done through cutting spending, or it could be done through budget gimmicks, gimmicks that's been used in, in the past to shift where things, which budget year things appear in, um, rating um, other um, fund accounts. Uh, and in the previous recession, the, the state uh, borrowed uh, pretty heavily. So it's not inevitable um, that if there is a shortfall um, that uh, won't be covered by the rainy day fund, that the only option available is to cut spending. Uh, and I do believe that while the recovery may be slower than the legislative budget staff is projecting, I do believe that it will be steady. So I do believe that this is probably a one budget year problem. And so some of those other temporizing factors rather than uh, budget cuts might be appealing um, to uh, the legislators at least through next year and then see how much of recovery we got and whether there's a rebound effect with respect to the disease. So there's a lot of uh, uncertainty about all of this. Uh, one of the other questions I wanted to, to talk about was how you see uh, the politics uh, shaking out uh, from this. There's a lot of uh, X factors and 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 uh, to be determines involved. But the Democrats were hoping to take control of the Arizona legislature in 2020. Uh, there was a question of whether they'd be able to do that. Almost every issue now is is tinged with um, you know how to how to move forward given this 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 reality. Uh, how would you you know they're they're doing um, you know, clean elections is doing legislative debates th through, you know, through a digital call and, and, and there's, um, the campaigning is different. I mean, how, how do you, um, how does a candidate approach an election given the situation and does it make any difference, uh, on the surface, uh, favoring one party or the other? There have been um, several Arizona elections um, going back to um, 
uh, the the art dec decades, the two thousands, uh, in which the election, even at the state legislative level, was heavily influenced um, by the national election and what was happening nationally. Um, people didn't tend to discriminate between how they felt about how they wanted to vote on uh, for president or for U.S. Senate or for Congress, uh, and that had cascading effects on how they voted for the state legislature and other offices. Uh, it, obviously, it's real early and things can change, uh, but particularly with the inhibition on individual campaigning that's occurring, I think there's a strong prospect that that might happen here. Uh, and uh, at least as present and, and going at present and going back to 2016, uh, Donald Trump is a very weak Republican candidate uh, in Arizona. He ran substantially behind the Republican norm himself in 2016. Uh, and I do believe that an anti-Trump effect um, was part of what uh, caused Martha McSally's defeat uh, in uh, the 2018 U.S. Senate race. Um, I Right now, you would have to say that uh, that anti-Trump effect, uh, particularly among independents and in a and a sliver, at least, of Republicans, uh, is likely to have, likely to be the dominant feature, and it will be difficult for individual legislators to break out from that, um, particularly if we remain in a period where there's kind of a chill on ordinary um, campaign activities. The other big question is uh, what you know what the voting situation will be like but we did a whole uh, if our listeners are interested and, and you missed it we did a whole episode last episode on uh, on voting and what could uh, what could or should be done um, and just a philosophical conversation about online voting uh, as well um, any has anything changed uh, si since then in the, in the meantime are we are we still? Um, about the Maricopa County voting or any other voting dimensions that, that have changed since then? I think it's still highly um, unlikely that the uh, legislature uh, will um, pass a law um, causing for all uh, male uh, elections. Um, so I, I think that you will see a push to add more people to the permanent um, early uh, ballot program, um, probably by both parties and by election officials. And I think you will see other counties do what Maricopa County is um, uh, decided to do, uh, which is to open up more places where you can vote in person uh, and to open them up earlier. Uh, so even people who want to vote in, in person uh, can spread that out over uh, time uh, and conveniently do that rather than having massive um, 
uh, queues um, at ballot at balloting places on election day. Yeah. So I, I think there and and the overwhelming majority of votes in Arizona are cast by mail anyway, and I think they'll be in an attempt a to increase that and b to increase the period of time in places that you can cast an in-person ballot early. Yeah. Cool. Uh, last question is a, is a sports related question. Last time we talked, you have not watched any of the last dance. Is that still true? That is still true. Well, um, but, I, but I know you've the, been, you've been enjoying it a great deal. Yeah. And I've heard yeah, other people who have as well. Yeah. I, I, it's a great, it's a great documentary. I recommend it to anyone that hasn't, hasn't seen it. It's like it's pretty much the only sports conversation and whole, you know, the, the usual NBA related podcast I listen to are all focused on, you know, talking to people about the nineties and, and, and what they think about the, the last dance. But the last episode that they, that they talked about went into the, uh, the Suns bulls, uh, finals. Um, which brought back a lot of traumatic memories for, for Suns fans. But um, is it, you, you might be one of the only Suns fans out there that were, are, are still remain against the Barkley trade. Is that still true? Are you uh, still against it, the Barkley trade? It, it is. I, I, I think that he, um, and, and you can, I have watched some of the, rebroadcasts of some of the Suns games and including um, the Seattle series uh, that was the Western Finals that got us into Chicago and the ball goes into Barkley he dribbles 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 um, either if someone doesn't double team him he goes to the basket if someone does then he tries to pass it across court and I just thought he let the air out of the ball. And I liked it. I liked it a lot better when you had Tom Chambers, um, in that position, uh, who didn't let the air out of the ball and scored prodigiously. So the trade was, and this trade was in 92 summer of 92. And also Jeff Uh, Hornacek was one of my favorite players. So the trade was Jeff Hornacek, Tim Perry, and Andrew Lang for, for, for Barkley. Uh, it was kind of like a steal at the time because Barkley was kind of a, you know, kind of a hothead. But, uh, and, and so leading up to that season, it was 88, 89, the Suns made the conference finals and lost. Uh, the next season they made the conference finals and lost. But then in, in, in 91 and in 92, they had a first round exit. Uh, and then I think they lost in the second round. Uh, and then the first year we had a Barkley, we went to the finals and, and, uh, lost, but that was being our only finals appearance or our second finals appearance ever. Uh, so how do you, I mean, how do you argue with the results with the, how could the sons have, have come over the top, uh, with that, with that group without, a, without a star like Barkley? Well, they had stars in, in Kevin Johnson and Tom Chambers and, and Chambers largely disappeared, um, that year. Uh, and the other, I mean, Barkley was a corrosive influence. He, they, they even talk today about how he refused to practice. And you contrast him and his effect on, because after Barkley, Barkley only lasted a few years after that. 
the Suns weren't good. And, and then after the after the finals appearance, we lost in the in the conference semis the next two years. I think right. And I and then that. shortly thereafter, Bark, Barkley was gone, and the Suns have never recovered. And you contrast the corrosive effect that Barkley had on the ethos of the Suns by refusing to to practice. Um, and I think he ruined Oliver Miller, who I think had a lot of potential and with his half court activities with Jordan. I read an interview one time with the bench players um, from the Jordan era. And what they said was nobody practices harder than Michael Jordan. He goes full tilt all the time. And one of the keys to our success is for the rest of us, if that's what Jordan's doing, who are we not to do as much or more, even though it was impossible to do more? So Jordan as a leader elevated the rest of his team and created an ethos while in my judgment, Barkley let the air out of the ball and corroded the ethos of the team. Uh, and he was in open rebellion with Kevin Johnson. So, I mean, it's kind of hard yeah. when you're two top stars um, uh, really don't like playing with each other. Yeah. Well, they still, even after he left, they still made the playoffs a few years. And obviously they had a, a little bit of a renaissance back in the in the Steve Nash days, but still have not been... Uh, back to finals, hopefully, uh, when I NBA. I think you agree with me, except for a few um, some heartbreaks. In, in, injuries uh, and uh, interference by the NBA con commissioner. <laughs> yeah, suspending <laughs> uh, Stoudemire. And... Yeah, I, I think that team um, could have gone to the finals and could have won the finals. And also the other thing, which you've heard me complain about repeatedly, was the change in the way that they referee uh, in the playoffs. Uh, I mean, basically, Steve Nash was manhandled uh, in the playoffs and didn't get calls. I'm convinced that team would have won multiple championships if they had called the playoffs the same way that they call the, reg the regular season. Yeah, my my gripe from a just a personnel standpoint is I kept making tweaks every single year uh, to the to the to the to the character and chemistry of the team. It was like, oh, we didn't go, we didn't win a championship this time. Let's 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 make a major change. You know, if you look at those teams back in the '90s, you know, they grow from experience and they get to right. the they, they get up to the door, they knock on it, they're you know they go through that together and they come back. And they're like, okay, this is what we need to do. It seemed like every time the Suns would would kind of get to one of those positions, they'd say, oh, we need to we need to we need to make a major change, rather than letting those guys just grow together. And that's what I kind of hope with with the young Suns core we have now is that. Uh, you know, yeah, you need a, a piece or two, but I think ultimately you need to, you know, stick with like, you know, grow your guys and let them, um, let them grow together. Obviously we have, sons haven't made the playoffs in over 10 years, so it's not like we're knocking on any doors yet, but, uh, hopefully if, if, and when the, the sports start to happen again, <laughs> we'll, be, we'll be able to talk about it. Um, well, you've probably gotten me in more trouble. Uh, with my comments about Charles Barkley than anything I have ever said in politics ever. Uh, we'll see if it 
<laughs> uh, well, thanks everyone for listening to the Political Notebook podcast. Uh, you can subscribe to us on any podcasting app, uh, Google Play, iTunes, uh, Stitcher, Overcast, wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks.